First things first, maybe let's start off just by understanding your mandate as the Gauteng Provincial Director at the Legal Practice Council. What does your job entail, essentially? So as director for, for the province, um, it's mainly overseeing the, the operations of the province. So in Legal Practice Council, you have a, a council for each province that gets elected who are mainly responsible for the oversight. Um, but obviously, your councillors wouldn't be day-to-day involved in managing the oversight. Mm-hmm. So I'm in Gauteng. I'm in, in charge of managing the oversight for the province together with my staff complement of around about 150 staff members. Together with your staff members, it does appear as though you've been putting in a lot of work uh, in terms of uh, evaluating the conduct uh, following the uh, more than 21,000 complaints that have typically been laid by against South African lawyers. Uh, help us understand, um, again, how perhaps the process behind laying complaints and monitoring conduct and practice uh, does unfold. So it usually starts with a member of the public or sometimes the the judiciary or other legal practitioners reporting conduct of attorneys to the Legal Practice Council, attorneys or advocates. Um, The the Act provides a very set uh, process to be followed. So the process entails firstly doing an investigation to establish whether there is any wrongdoing. Very often is a vast majority of the complaints that do come in are really not of such a serious nature and can simply be resolved by communication between the parties. Mm. You know, it's very often a misunderstanding of what was expected and what was delivered. But unfortunately, yes, there are a worrying number of matters that do warrant further action. So once the investigation committee has actually examined what's been happening in, in the specific matter, they will make recommendations as to whether disciplinary charges should be brought against the practitioner. Um, the matter is then referred to a disciplinary committee mm. who has to consider all the evidence that's presented. So it's very similar to a disciplinary hearing at, a, at an employer or similar to a criminal proceeding um, where evidence is presented and interrogated. And the committee will then come to a conclusion as to whether the, the practitioner was guilty or not. Mm. Um, and depending on the nature of the, the offence, um, the outcome could be that the practitioner is suspended or struck. Um, but also in, in a large number of the cases, it's not really a case of suspending or striking a practitioner. It could be a fine that is imposed. Mm. Um, and I think the main criteria to decide on whether a practitioner should be removed from the role of attorneys or advocates is whether such a person is fit and proper to fulfill that role. And that is is a decision that's made by the courts ultimately. Yeah, and it does seem as though, of course, there's significant consequences here because uh, ultimately these uh, legal practice councils can no longer actively um, um, gain any economic reward for their work and for their craft. But I guess justifiably so if they have been proven to be guilty of any misconduct. But but I'm keen to understand, as you mentioned, you know, the extremities of the very case uh, or extreme levels of complaints that you typically receive. In front of me, I've got quite a few case 
studies of cases from various provinces uh, across the country, uh, some actually reporting that uh, severely disabled uh, patients and children didn't receive the maximum payout that they were rewarded uh, and highlighting other levels of misconduct by legal practice councils. I'm keen to understand what you've witnessed from a South African, or I beg your pardon, Gauteng point of view uh, in terms of some of the, the, the severity of the cases that you've had to monitor. I, th- I think in terms of the, the severe cases, unfortunately, there has been an increase. Um, and there we are talking about those instances that you're referring to, misappropriation of money, mm. um, overreaching and overcharging clients. Um, those are really the serious instances that, we, that we're seriously concerned about. Um, and yes, uh, you know, unfortunately, and I think it's been in the media quite a bit lately, it's usually the the vulnerable vulnerable of the society who are targeted, your 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 claimants in respect of RAF matters or the medical negligence negligence. But it's also not limited to only that. Um, interesting enough, uh, the area with the highest number of complaints, if we talk about the nature of the work that's done, actually relates to conveyancing. In other words, transfer of properties. Mm. That's actually the area where we receive the highest percentage of complaints. I am surprised because I actually thought that there's minimal misconduct that could take place there, right? We we typically think of it as just pro- processing paperwork, but where do the leakages yeah. typically fall? Yeah, no, look, I'll, I'll be honest, I was also slightly amazed when I saw that, but sure. that's what the numbers show. Mm-hmm. And are you able to disclose how the leakages come about or, or what the typical complaints are, are related to? I'm, I'm assuming overcharging? So I think the majority of the the complaints, irrespective of whether it's conveyancing or RAF matters or any other type of matter, the majority of complaints percentage-wise relate to failure to attend to a matter diligently. Mm -hmm. So your your instances of misappropriation, as we call it, or basically stealing money from the trust account, is much further down the line. I mean, we're talking there about around about 2% of of centimetres. Um, failure to attend to matters is around about 24%. Um, failure to respond to correspondence, there you're looking at around about 8 or, uh, yeah, between 8 and 11%. So it's very often more, the complaints relate more to business practices than it does relate to straightforward dishonesty. But again, I must state, unfortunately, we do see an increase in the, in the instances of misappropriation. Sure. I, I see that and I can imagine that the, the various cases that actually do unfold and the complaints that you typically have to manage. Uh, before we actually talk about the consequences uh, that, that these attorneys or legal practitioners actually face, whether it's a fine or, or other alternative means, as you mentioned, being struck off the roll, I'm keen to understand just how intense the level of um, research, investigating investigations also is uh, uh, carried out by your team and your office. Uh, I do see a few reports and a few headlines that actually lay, raise concerns about the time frames at which this is typically executed? Yeah, the time frames are a big concern. Um, again, it's driven by the processes defined by the Act, but also the nature of, of the public or the, the, the practitioners that we deal with. Um, you know, you can imagine dealing with legal practitioners, you will find legal obstacles in your way. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that we, we make excuses for, for turnaround times. The fact of the matter is for 20, 
2023, we've received 14,259 complaints. Now, you can imagine um, between the nine provinces with limited capacity to, to get to all of those is quite difficult. That being said, we did manage to, to finalize 13,481 complaints. So I think we, we did quite well, although we still sit with with a substantial backlog of complaints. Mm. Now, depending on, on the type of complaint, some of these complaints are really very straightforward and there's very little to investigate. The the documents speak for themselves. Um, but other document, uh, other types of complaints, it's a question of having to call in the witnesses or the complainant to come and give statements, referring that to the practitioner. The practitioner gets an opportunity to respond. It has to go back to the complainant to, to counter what the, the practitioner says before we can actually get to a point where we've got sufficient information to place before an investigation committee. I can imagine this does seem like quite an extensive process and and of course the final evaluation as to how these businesses will be held uh, accountable. As you've mentioned, there is a process in terms of the courts to uh, evaluate whether these uh, legal practitioners are officially struck off the roll or fundamentally pay a fine. But have you seen positive outcomes in terms of consequence management? And I, I ask this largely leaning towards fines that might be um, instituted against legal practitioners and their offices. So we do impose a significant number of fines <clears throat> and the majority of those are collected. Um, unfortunately, once again, you would find if you look at our list of, of matters that proceed to disciplinary action, sometimes do also relate to practitioners who, despite being imposed a penalty, um, still does not comply and pay the penalty. Mm. But, um, you know, once again... Out of the number of complaints. Do they come out with saying that they don't have the adequate financial resources or is it just a complete absconding of their responsibility to pay? It's that's part of it. Um, Some some practitioners would simply just ignore it. Some practitioners would actually say that they do not have the funds. And, you know, I think there's unfortunately a misconception among the public at large um, who think that once you are an attorney or an advocate, you are rich overnight. And to be honest, that's not the truth. Um, you know, I think it's it's very important. Personally, I think it plays a role in the kind of pressure that that practitioners experience when when getting into practice. This expectation of them being completely wealthy and affluent as soon as they become practitioners, and that's absolutely not the case. Definitely not the case at all. And for those who have been struck off the roll, uh, I guess, how, how have you witnessed, I guess, the transition of these individuals who essentially can't um, practice professionally anymore? Uh, closures of their operations. Have some ever tried to make a return, return, return to territory uh, and perhaps pursued some level of rehabilitation if, if that is possible? It is possible. Um, so we do from time to time see requests for practitioners who wish to come back after suspension or striking. Obviously, the, the requirements for you to meet um, in order to, to be readmitted after striking is much more stringent because already now the court knows that you've already got this blight against your name. So you have to really jump through hoops to explain why you have been rehabilitated. But it's not to say that that if you've made a mistake and you've actually rehabilitated that you cannot be readmitted. But it's it's very difficult.
Very difficult, as it should be, as it should be when one is found uh, uh, guilty of any uh, misconduct. I guess uh, just to also understand the operations of, of legal practice counsel and, and the operations and the work that you entail, have you found that you still require support? Uh, and I guess moving into 2024, uh, what lessons and learnings are you likely going to implement in the new year to, to assist with the objectives of, of your organization? And of course, making it easier for us uh, as South Africans to be able to access your services and raise particular concerns uh, where we have suspicions and, 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 and frustrations? Yes. So I think one of the biggest things is increasing our public awareness. I think this has also contributed towards the increased number of complaints, but it's critical for the public to actually be aware of what their rights are, where to go if they've got concerns. Um, so that's that's the number one priority in my view. Um, the second issue is also to look at just, you know, moving with the times, making sure that as the Legal Practice Council, we also keep up with it, sorry, with the developments in terms of, um, you know, information technology, making it simpler for people to inter- interact with us um, and making the, the process quicker and more seamless. 100%. Uh, and on that note, uh, are there easy ways for, for individuals to uh, or contact the Legal Practice Council, Ignatius, and also making sure that they come prepared, right? Because it's one thing for someone to knock on your door and say, I've got a complaint against uh, Mfupi and partners' attorneys, but uh, they clearly need to substantiate some of their concerns as, as the veracity of their claims will, will be evaluated. So if somebody wants to, to lodge a complaint or even just to check information with us, whatever documentary proof they have, they can bring along we will gladly assist them to make copies or to scan the documents. Um, they can visit any of our, our offices in the nine provinces, or they can even contact us online on uh, lpc.org.za, uh, and they will they will find the information they need in order in order in order in order in order in order to, to contact us. Hundred percent. Such a pleasure speaking to you this evening, Ignatius, and getting clarity um, on your organisation, the kind of reports and findings that you've had, and most importantly, uh, upholding the the, the professional conduct uh, of the industry that you represent. Thank you again for your time, sir. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on Kaya nine five nine dot co dot za.